What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Monday, August 15th, 2022, and this week's episode, the UK takes over an insane day of action. We'll be talking about UFC San Diego, the Bantamweight main event between Marlon Chito Vera and Dominic Cruz. Then we'll talk about the latest in MMA news, a lot to dissect from the penultimate playoff in the PFL, Chris Cyborg making her trip over to boxing finally, and of course we will preview a very loaded weekend, a lot of talent from the United Kingdom is just gonna be in action across combat sports, so we'll talk about how to navigate it, but we will cap it off by previewing this Saturday's UFC pay-per-view, Kamaru Usman taking on Leon Edwards for the second time, Jose Aldo against Marab Devalishvili, and the middleweight fight between Paulo Costa and former champion Luke Rockhold. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I am joined by my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Double G, welcome back from San Diego. Thank you. Uh, not as nice here as it was there, I think. <laughs> you know what? So my thing about the whole SD thing is beautiful. It's great. looks nice. It's like LA with the beach theme. My word is it humid. I think that's my biggest thing is that like any hotel, I don't care how nice it is. It's like you never actually like dry off. It doesn't matter. You know, like, you just wake up, you have the fan running, out of a shower, you just, you know, you never go from, like, 100% precipitation to zero, you just never, and it's annoying, you just constantly sweat until you get back home, so it's, that's my one thing about it. Besides that, it was beautiful, a lot of beaches, a lot of marinas, a lot of boats, a lot of uh, really fit people that make me feel like I need to go on a diet and hit the gym, it was, it was great. Yeah, man, I uh, I hear you on the humidity. I went to San Diego last year. I don't know, two years ago. We stayed on a you know Airbnb right by the beach, and you just you never stop feeling sticky. It was just, it was just so weird. There's yeah. something about that beach life that like, it seems glamorous, but it's also kind of dirty. And uh, I prefer our dry heat up in LA over here. Yeah, I just like to you know like. Trying to dry clothes is a nightmare when you're traveling, like, you know, I don't want just like a suitcase full of my dirty clothes, but then it's like, well, rinse them off, they never dry, no matter where you hang them, inside, outside, it's just annoying. But enough about the struggles of the beach, let's talk about (laughs) UFC San Diego. Um, You know what, I I gotta say, first off, as a whole, because I know that the card took some hits, I think a lot of people started seeing this as a one-fight card in the main event. It exceeded expectations uh, start to finish. You had a lot of great performances. A lot of men and women really showed up and showed out. So if you tuned in, I think you got the investment for your time on, you know, to watch on ESPN+. Plus. But it was capped off by the very captivating main event with Chito Vera and Dominic Cruz. Uh, to really break down this fight... I was impressed by the aggressiveness I saw from Dominic. Just, I don't know if it was just he felt like he had a point to prove um, at this stage of his career for himself, for the proverbial title shot that you felt like you could have snuck into with a good win, with just, uh, you know, proving something to Cheeto and their do they or don't they have beef. 
Um, and I, I was just really impressed. I felt like I saw Dominic more than usual get in the face of Cheeto, and he was connecting. But similar to the fight with Rob Font, Cheeto is a guy who doesn't throw with high volume. And we talked about this uh, last week, just he's not going to need to land as many punches to do the damage. And you saw that in those first three rounds. Took a couple hits, would get Dominic Cruz to back off by returning fire. And it just seemed like every round he would just kind of find that mark. And look, Dominic took them all well. Popped right back up, got right back to work. But there were just a few flush punches that, you know, it sat him down briefly. And that, even though the judges, I believe, had Dominic Cruz winning leading up to the fourth, you felt like those were close rounds. You felt like Cheeto had just, essentially, he just with one punch felt like he had rallied himself back into it. So it made for a very interesting fight. Um, But obviously, you can't, you know, at the end of the day, Cheeto is the one who got that finish. Sets it up. He said it. He fainted toward the body. Dominic bobbed the, the exact direction that he wanted him to. Head kick. And that's all she wrote. Dominic was out as when he hit the canvas. I, I don't know if you caught it. I believe they mentioned it on the broadcast. But Cheeto had gone for it a little bit earlier. And Dominic kind of read it correctly. And he was ready for it. He blocked. He didn't bob all the way out as Chito went for the head kick. But that's just a credit to Chito Vera. He knew it was going to be there. He just had to be patient. He was. He got it and gets that big victory. What were your thoughts? Oh, so many thoughts. It was a, It was an exciting night. And you could tell that it was. the crowd was really pumped up. They were happy to have, um, you know, a lot of... Uh, how do I say this? The, the Hispanic uh, MMA community seemed to be well represented in the crowd there. Yep. And uh, in any case, the fight itself, you know, I'm I'm watching this fight thinking about that face-off or face-to-face that um, Dominic Cruz and Chito Vera had a few days before. And, you know, the, that, that, that spicy little clip at the end where, where Chito Vera says, uh, I'm prepared to die. And Dominic Cruz says, yeah, me too. It's a good day to die, right? Loki, uh, I felt like he jinxed himself when he said I know. that. <laughs> he did, and and uh, you know he was doing really well. It was vintage Dominic Cruz, but when you think about how easily Cheeto Vera finished him, you realize how much Dominic Cruz just how much output he he offers for very little payoff. You know he's hitting Cheeto Vera with those winging punches, but it's not causing a lot of damage. And, he, you know, Cruz isn't getting tired. This is what he trains for. This is how he fights. But it is, uh, it's definitely, I guess Cheeto Vera put it best, right, in the uh, in the post-fight conference. I don't, I wouldn't put it this way myself, but but it, I can see the, the angle that Vera's taking when he described Dominic Cruz as a low-level fighter, right? His style is, is low-level. It kind of stings to hear that, but... There's some truth there at this stage in MMA to be sticking with the style that was very effective for him with him for him for so long against the most modern up to date MMA type of fighter in in Cheeto. You can just see, you know, it it does enough to keep a fighter at bay until they figure out all your moves and then well bam. And what also hurt in watching that finish is the fact that 
Dominic Cruz's nose appeared to be smashed pretty good. And uh, I haven't heard anything or read anything about how he's doing right now. I don't think he's posted anything, but the nose looked pretty messed up. And you got to feel for the guy because, you know, he's already suffered through a bunch of other injuries in the knees and the shoulders. And this one can't be uh, can't be too pleasant. So have you heard anything about how he's doing now? I have not, but I do want to say, compared to the things he's been through, ask me Shatate. I think the nose will be okay. I yeah, think he'll make it. Hershnaz <laughs> has, has suffered a lot too, but his eye just looked all contorted. You know what? He just took that so... Uh, like when they uh, blow up that photo, the head kick, and like yeah. the toe is in the mouth of Cruz, I'm like, oh, you know. He, he low-keyed... It's hard to compete with the photo of Cheeto Frankie, but it was up there. Um, yeah, you know, I don't like that, by the way, the, the slow mo, like the fr- the freeze, like in between motion freeze frame pictures, like we don't need to see that. It just seems a little cruel to the recipient, but I get it. <laughs> it's part of the game, right? Yeah. But no, nah, it's um, hey, did you want? Do you want to be an ultimate fighter? I know. Were you not entertained? Yeah, I was. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, look, uh, I think Dominic um. He was fighting well, so I know people are going to be like, is this the changing of the guard? I will say it wasn't the best look for Dominic at this stage of the game, at this in this iteration of the Bantamweight division. That being said, um, I don't think that he should fall too far. I think that he showed he's still got a lot of fight left. But I, does he have a second performance and it ends this way? Then we'll have a different conversation, but... I do think Dominic Cruz proved that he is still a tough night out for anybody. Um, moving on to Cheeto, usually right now it would be like who, what, where, when. Let's be honest, there's going to be no figuring of any of this out until October. And I know that sounds like ridiculous considering we're still in August. But you think about it, this coming Saturday, Jose Aldo and Marab Devalishvili. Uh, Jose Aldo is on a win streak that includes a win over Chito Vera. Marab, he's on, I believe, a six-fight win streak. I have to double-check that. But the fact is, the winner of that one could easily sneak in above Chito on their merits and name value alone going into a title fight. And then you have to address the elephant in the room, the uh, Sean O'Malley, Peter Yan. you got to think that if Sean O'Malley goes out there and does Sean O'Malley things to Peter... It's going to be hard for the UFC not to just cash in on a title fight right there finally, right? So all the contenders would still be there, but it's like the time is now to really get in on uh, the Sean O'Malley train if he beats Peter. By the way, Aldo on a three-fight win streak. Sorry, not four if I said that. Um, And then Henry Cejudo is still out there. Henry Cejudo, I know it's not as likely but you, let's be honest, he could always sneak back in too if the UFC decides to go with it. So in terms of what do we do next with Cheeto, he's not going to know what his next step is until Sean O'Malley fights Peter Yan. Yeah. Doesn't matter how good Jose Aldo looks. Doesn't matter how good Aljo or TJ look. Um, it, all of that will get sorted out after we have all the players lined up. Because one thing I will say is I don't think, even if Aljo wins, um, I don't think that people are necessarily clamming for Peter Aljo too. So that does help um, Cheeto in that way get into the title fight. Also, Aljamain saying, I might move down if 
Marab beats Aldo because I don't want to get in the way of my buddy getting a title fight. In which case it's like, well, what does that do to everything? So my point of that is we are going to have to wait and see. But do you have anything else to add about the muddled Bantamweight picture? I agree it's muddled, uh, but you mentioned Henry Cejudo's name and I thought, oh, I know he's not going to be interested, but wouldn't that be cool if he came back before the year ended and fought Cheeto Vera? That would be a heck of a fight. I Um, like it. I like it. So there's a little bit of clarity to our muddled situation. How likely is it? I mean, Vera's going to say yes, of course. Uh, you know, Henry Cejudo will have some cringy response about why he can't take that fight, but whatever. You know, I can only dream. <laughs> One thing I will say, yeah, on that note, why wouldn't it happen? If Henry is game, obviously it's great, and I think it makes sense right now. Um, but I think Henry, he'd kind of just be like, well, you know what? At this rate, I've been retired. Uh, by the way, you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes. Um <laughs> It's like, dude, at this point, he'll be like, you know what? I'd just wait another eight months and just fight for the title straight up when it figures itself out. Because really, at this point, it's like, no, really, just, you know, let's be honest. The division has moved on. Like when I bring up Henry Cejudo, two division champion, never lost either belt. But then I look at Jose Aldo's win streak, Marab, Chito, Sean, Peter, I can't tell you that I'm necessarily like, oh, I feel like I'm missing something without Henry Cejudo. I yeah, just, not at all. Yeah, I don't know another way to say it. And that, look, maybe that is on him to take a fight with a guy like Chito to remind us like, hey, he is still the man. But right now in this iteration, I think that the UFC in particular has done a great job of moving you on from him. And I think that for himself, you just get the feeling that he's holding out for this title fight in divisions where there's just too much going on already. So there we are. Yep. <laughs> That's my phone slipping as I, oh, try I thought to it was mo- a drum roll <laughs> as I tried to move on from the thing. Um, uh, by the way, before we move on, Nate Landwehr, David Onama, oh. <laughs> dude, imagine if they were like, put it this way. If those guys were higher ranked, we'd be talking about fight of the year. I know it's going to go to like, Jiri and Glover or Hamzad and Burns, but let's be honest, that was just freaking awesome. It was so good. What about you? It was incredible. And um, you know, the first round, if if I'm gonna full confession, I I stepped away and when I came back, the second round had just started. So I was like, Oh wow, man, these guys are really getting after it. I had no idea all the drama that had happened in the first round until after the fact, but I went back to watch it. It unbelievable. I mean, Nate was he was just out. He just got knocked out. I mean, he was stiff. He fell straight down to the canvas. It was over. He just woke up because either he hit his head on the canvas or he got more punches from Onama. I, I don't know. Um, but that fight could have been over right then and there. And the fact that, that Nate kept coming back, the way he kept coming back, the, the showmanship or the you know lack of, of sportsmanship, however you want to look at it, and Onama was giving it back to him too in round three, pump, you know, hitting his chest. And he had some moments there where he hurt Nate. It was full of drama. It made me feel like I was watching MMA and, you know, the yesteryears, um, you know, when people would just stand there and brawl and weren't trying to do anything else. It was really, really exciting. I'm glad they got fight at the night. 
I also enjoyed the uh, the, the the two UFC debutants from uh, Mexico and Brazil, respectively. You know, uh, Haregi and uh, Lucindo. That was a heck of a fight. The battle so, of the Yasmins. Battle of the Yasmins, yeah. And um, the crowd was eating it up. I think, you know, you can speak to the energy uh, if, you, if you like, but it certainly felt like it was just popping off the screen. Okay, it was so crazy because the media room in San Diego wasn't like... Okay, like T-Mobile, it's a different one. Some of the other arenas, they have a designated spot. Mm-hmm. This one, we were right under the bleachers, like in the oh. the lower bowl, not floor. We were on the floor, but like the lower bowl seats were over us. So when I tell you the room was shaking, <laughs> you could feel people stamping their feet. You could hear the crowd going wild when somebody got knocked down. The fighters were like, wait, what happened? Like, this is so cool. Like, I, you know, it just made you want to be out there um, to run it down. I mean, Gabriel Benitez had a great one. Tyson Nam with the knockout of Osborne. Josh Quinlan with just slept Jason Witt. There was just so much. Uh, people just went to sleep on Saturday. Yeah. I don't know another way. Um, Kachahara, Lipsky, Mearshart, uh, you know, getting that late finish on Bruno Silva. Uh, Azmat Mirzakhanov. He had a great finish. Like, just guys really showed out. Um, like you said, I, I didn't expect it on paper because I, I, I'll say it. I feel like a lot of the, quote, momentum is behind guys and girls like Yair, Brandon Moreno, Alexa Grasso. But it really, as the fight and as the card kind of developed, you realize just how many fans in San Diego, like, they were eager to see the Mexican talent. Yeah. I could feel that in the media that was there. I could feel it. And, you know, so you had Benitez, you had uh, Haregi, Yasmin. Um, and then, uh, you know, Brandon Morena was around. Oh, my God. People ate it up. Um, you can imagine if an Alexa Grasso had stayed on the card. So it yeah. just, um, you just felt the energy. It was a good night for Mexican MMA. It was a good night for the Mexican fighters on the roster to really show out and yeah, had you added Brandon and Alexa or Yair, the card would have been like, why isn't this at UFC Mexico? So, for sure. <laughs> awesome. And, you know, for the main event, everyone was suddenly Ecuadorian, you know? So. I know, I saw so many flags. Look, as a Peruvian, I was really surprised by how many Ecuadorians were out there because, uh, you know, uh, us Peruvians like to think we're the only South Americans uh, out in California, so... <laughs> I was like, wow, you guys really represent it. Okay. <laughs> I, I would say this. I don't know how many of them were Ecuadorian or how many were just Cheeto fans, but I appreciated yeah. it. Yeah, yes, appreciate I don't know if you saw it, but oh, the reggae music hit and the, the arena got lit. And I don't mean <laughs> party, does, you know. <laughs> yeah. How does that happen so fast? Like, how do they... I guess I'm, I'm outing myself as not being, you know, cool. It's like... Poker, but how do they know to just be like... All right, I know there's going to be a moment where I can light it up and then they just do go. It's like, how does Batman get from the mansion to the scene of the crime before it's over? You know, like, yeah. he, he sees the signal and the Batmobile just knows what to do. The music hits and everyone just seems to know what to do. With know what scene. to do, yeah. No, it was a good night on TV and live for sure. Yeah. Um, let's talk about a little bit. Uh, Be- Bellator ha- was in action. I know there were some good fights there. Gota Yamauchi got the finish of uh, Neiman Gracie. That was a big one. So kind of like 
the battle of the, you know the battle of the grapplers ends with a knockout so i want to acknowledge that one happened there were a couple good ones there i know oh my gosh i'm oster vanford got upset they were just a, it was a good night of fights yeah aaron jeffrey there's his name but yeah like if you saw the highlights they had a good night but probably the bigger talking points came out of PFL earlier on Saturday. So the first one, Delano Taylor replaced, um, you know, stepped in as a late replacement during fight week because visa issues pulled out Rory's original opponent. This guy goes on, TKOs Rory McDonald in the first round. Now he'll be taking on Sadabusi uh, in the final for a million dollars. Guy wasn't even in the tournament on Monday. He's fighting for a million dollars in about three months. What do you think of that? I mean, that's... He should have bought a lottery ticket, too. It makes me think of... Um, this is not the best comparison, but DC in the Strikeforce tournament, like, he was an alternate, you know, and then made his way through and won. It was a little different, but it's, it's still, a, you know, hard work and a little bit of luck put together. And so... The knockout, I guess, uh, TKO of Rory was hard to see, but he got him, caught him clean, and that was all she wrote. Um, the The clip is actually pretty funny because I think it was Gareth Davies who was interviewing another fighter in the crowd while that happened. And so there's this sort of live reaction of, oh, my goodness, this, this Rory McDonald just got, uh, you know, put out. So it's hard to see, especially with the trajectory um, the path of Rory's career from UFC to Bellator to PFL um, and him being so young. We'll, we'll get into it right now, I'm sure. But, you know, in any case, great moment for Delano Taylor. I mean, let's not take that away from him. That's one of those career-making moments, highlight reel for the rest of your life uh, moments. And so, you know, good for him, man. Yeah, and we'll get, like you said, we'll talk about Rory. I know he made a big announcement yesterday. Um, the heavyweights also showed out. Um, I always mess up his name. Uh, Ante Delia just brutally stopped Iron Giant Henan Ferreira, who you remember from that big, like, he didn't even have to jump. He just had, like, the raised knee knockout earlier this season. Matus Shuffle uh, just beats down Juan Adams, who was replacing another top seed. Like, the one, number one seed at heavyweight and the number two seed at welterweight both needed replacements. And look, uh, first off, great showing by the guys they came in and they sent a message that said you better be bleeping ready if you think you're gonna take a million dollars away from me in a couple months loved it i think that was said a great message definitely want to acknowledge that when i saw the visa issues when i saw this happen to the playoff fighters a part of me couldn't help but think like it just nothing just seems to be going right for the pfl and even like with Delano Taylor, bless him. Like you said, I think anyone in his shoes, that's exactly what you could imagine. Beating the big name, getting to be in the final. Like the universe just seems to show show favor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I couldn't help but feel like the PFL. It's like, well, you got this unknown guy that we don't know about. And suddenly we're supposed to be hyped for him in the final. Not that I, I there's not reason to be hyped. I mean, like I just explained, he's got a great story just on last week alone. But promotion-wise, it feels like all of this investment that we just made in the regular season, where'd it go? Yeah. Where'd it go? We we just 
uh, you know, and, and it just becomes a whole thing. It will be not that she doesn't always carry a lot of the weight, but assuming nothing crazy happens this Saturday, it's going to be a very Kayla Harrison centric week. There's no Ray Cooper. There's no Rory. There's no Pettis. There's it's really and even respectfully, it just feels like a lot of more newer names to the picture. Bruno Capeloza, uh the defending champion, he was injured. He's not in it. It just really, let's just be honest, it was a change-up, and I don't know that it necessarily played out well for the PFL. I want your thoughts on that before we talk about Rory. Yeah, man, it's tough. They've had a lot of tough uh the way the cards, the way the proverbial, <laughs> like, the cards being dealt, right? Yeah, and it's like, on paper, it's this, it's this shiny new MMA thing, but it's just not quite shaking out. I still like the format. Kayla Harrison is still the, the number one star, and rightly so. She's great on the mic. She fights really well, and there's potential for bigger fights outside of, of PFL. Okay, will that ever happen? Who knows? But... You know, you got Pettis breaking, like, you know, Paris and Rory, too. The two big signings from two seasons ago are, you know, yeah. yeah. They they get knocked out early in the first, their first, uh, the first season that they debuted. This time around, they have some good wins, uh, and then it just all falls back into the same thing. So now it's like, the thing with the PFL is since you don't, you have mostly no idea who these fighters are. And you don't know if they're going to be, you know, pushing their opponent up against the cage for five rounds or three rounds or whatever that is. It's just hard to get excited, hard to make the time, hard to set the reminder to sit down in front of the TV or the computer or whatever to watch. Because you don't want to be stuck there watching boring fights from people you don't know. It's one thing to watch a boring fight from fighters you know. But when you don't know them, maybe just personally, it makes it really hard to sit through it. And so I don't know how you fix that. I don't know how you how you raise the status, the star of these fighters that most people don't know who they are. And when you're competing against UFC and, you know, some nights Bellator, really just UFC, it's very tricky. The only thing they have going for them is the format because they can offer something different. I will say, too, um, I love, and I can't remember her name, I apologize, the ring announcer. She's amazing. Lillian Garcia. Yes, thank you. She's yeah. so so good. It's just refreshing to have something different in the cage. Not at all that I'm not to say at all that I'm disappointed with Bruce Buffer, the greatest, or Joe Martinez. She's just also really good, and it's fun. Um, Sean, I can't read. O'Connell. Can't, yes, thank you. He's amazing too, and every time I see him, you know, I think about his story and how he won the first season. Blah blah. blah. So there's like these little shiny jewels that they have, and of course Kayla Harrison. I, but it's not enough to put it all together. And so I don't know what they can do. But when they when they make a big show out of buying, um, signing new fighters with big names, and then it all falls flat, it's just like, do I even care who wins the tournament? And that's where I get left at the end with asking myself, do I care who wins? Because it's nobody I even know. So on that note, I want to acknowledge that because we had this conversation, and not to make it another you know, a rerun of last week's right. segment. But I do feel like th- this is completely illustrates the struggle of the Bellator, Bellator and the PFL. Uh, for PFL, yeah, okay, so 
I think of the big three of UFC, Bellator, PFL, PFL probably has the smallest roster, right? Uh-huh. I don't think that's a... I'm breaking news there. So when it's really very top-loaded with their talent, right? Kayla, Rory, Ray. Um, it, it's really difficult when those guys are either not winning or not on the card. I think that that's their struggle. Bellator, even though they have a deeper roster... I think that their, you know, inconsistency, like the, the the lack of frequency of the events, and I think a little bit of the branding is now on, th- th- that's the struggle they're having. Mm-hmm. And both of them have the same umbrella struggle of you're trying to get, compete for attention when everybody just kind of has only eyes and attention for the UFC. Yeah. And, you know, there's little things, the pacing, uh, the inconsistency of events for Bellator compared to the pacing of a PFL event. All You know, you could obviously nitpick and a lot of that stuff. But I would tell you last year, I'd argue that P. Sorry. Uh, yeah. No. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. It's just <laughs> a lot of events and I'm sorting it. I would argue that you could say PFL, despite the great success of Bellator, was on par with uh, being the second promotion. There was more hype. Ray, you know, Clay Collard, guys like that. Uh, Kayla doing Kayla things. Clarissa Shields was a big deal. I would argue that this year it has been tough. It's kind of been Kayla Harrison and everything else since week two of PFL. Bellator, despite this, they still had a lot of stuff going on. But I think it's just one of those things. PFL had such a great 2021 Uh and somehow it's really unraveled in so many places in 2022. And it just makes more, it raises more questions for the pay-per-view model next year, which we are going to address in our next segment. But I do want to acknowledge Rory McDonald, former top UFC contender, former title challenger, Bellator welterweight champion, PFL contender, announces his retirement Sunday. Um, Obviously, Rory, like I just brought up, he fought in several different promotions. He was involved in, I'm sure we're going to talk about this, just the probably one of the most carnage-filled fights of all time against Robbie Lawler. Steps away from the game at 33 years old. Just what are your final thoughts on the Red King as he, he bids adieu after... I think it just let's just say simply I think he felt like you know it just it's just not quite coming together like it used to. Yeah, I think you're right. And I'm happy for him because it was evident that it wasn't coming together like it used to and it seemed like he was I think mostly because of his age. He was so young. He is so young. I think he kept you know trying to give it another shot at Bellator and it worked. He got a belt and then another shot at PFL sort of trying to get himself excited, but we were there when he said at one of the Bellator events that he just doesn't have the killer instinct anymore. And that sort of sent some, you know, minor shockwaves through the MMA world for a week. Um, and then the next fight, he, he came back and said like, oh no, you know, I, I still have it. It's just, I was just, it's just something I said in the moment. But it really wasn't. I think you look at, starting so young at 14 or 16 I can't remember what age he started uh 16 I think and the awesome trajectory of his career from 16 onward 
the crazy Robbie Lawler fight, which I don't think, you know, anyone except Robbie Lawler apparently can walk away from that without being modified in some way. And, you know, you have kids and he, he embraced uh, a new religion and these big changes in, in some people's lives might not result in any observable change in the cage, but for him they did. And what's the point of, putting yourself in these stressful, dangerous situations if your heart's just not really in it. You know, when Cowboy Cerrone got on the mic at the end and said, my heart's just not in it anymore, it hurt our hearts to hear that, right? Um, but for for Rory McDonald, it, when, he, when he says that, it doesn't. I think, you know what? I think you're right. And not necessarily because your last fight ended in a TKO, but just not really in it. You're kind of going through the motions and, you know, go find something else that you can do that you get excited about. This doesn't seem to be it anymore. That's that's where I am. You know, I know he's never been the biggest talker, but I always felt like he's he's got so much experience. He's such an intellectual young man that you got to imagine he could go out there and maybe find, you know, explore the broadcast route. I feel like he's in a great position to be a guy like that on television. I think he's always carried himself very well and like a true professional and yeah you know I, I want to bring this up you know that he's only been finished like of his losses like since he reached the top level Gegar Musasi, which was at middleweight and then really all of his losses were decisions except for uh, the one to uh, Delano Taylor yeah like besides that it's not like he was getting slept he wasn't getting knocked out submitted and look, obviously, some of them, they were, he was routed, let's just say it. But, you know, it, it wasn't, they weren't bad. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying, Natalie? Yeah, of course And not. so I think that that was a big part of it. Like you said, he started, at one point, he was the youngest fighter on the roster. Yeah. And like two fights in, something like that, he's fighting Carlos Condit. Um, he, he enjoyed a great career. I always think that he really handled it well, just when you're the heir apparent to GSP, your tra- yeah. it's kind of like Islam Mahachev Habib right now, right? Like, dude, like, how can you live up to that guy and everyone talks about it all the time and, you know, all of this and that. And I thought that he did a good job just making his own decisions and doing what he had to do. The Bellator title, clearly a seminal moment for him. Um, just going on a tear in uh, UFC, you know, beating Tyron Woodley at the time, who went on to win the title. Great, great chapters of his career. The PFL is what it is. I'm sure people felt like the lack of depth would favor him. And it just is what it is. Just, I think a part of it is the age. Part of it is just maybe the mentality, maybe because he did so much when he was younger, that that motivation did change, even though as you said, relatively speaking, he's a younger guy. And, um, you know, look, I mean, the fight with Robbie, I mean, just... I think people forget how close Rory was to winning that. He was yeah. on a roll, I think, in that fourth round. And then Robbie Lawler, you know, just... They were both taking a lot of damage. And that's really where he earned the whole Red King, just embraced it, leaned into it. Um, I want to tell the story. So covering Bellator it had the pleasure of speaking with Rory in person and um back hallway I'm a big fan I don't know if you've ever you probably heard of it even if you don't watch it they had that show Gotham which is like the story of like 
yeah, little yeah. boy, young teenage Bruce Wayne and the city before he becomes Batman. Anyway, the actor who plays the Riddler on the show looks very much like Rory McDonald. <laughs> like if you watch, this is a thing online if you've ever looked Reddit. It, it's just uncannily. Not for nothing. I think the actor is also Canadian. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, I'm just, Rory is back kicking it. Just walk, you know, just no rush. Go to our seats. It's earlier in the night. It's not a full house yet. And, you know, I just have a chance. Hey, Rory, can I ask you something? Oh, yeah. Like, you know, what's up, dude? Like, anybody ever tell you, like, you look like that actor from the show Gotham? And, oh, like, he immediately says all the time. Like, I get that. (laughs) Like, and I think even he part of it was like, "Ah, I don't think it's the craziest thing, right? I've seen the photos, too. Very chill, very nice, friendly guy. Didn't, you know... Some people brush you off and all that in this business. I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but not Rory McDonald. Cool guy. I always think that for a young guy who had so much, he just did his thing. I don't I don't think being the big personality and being the most I'm sure he's a friendly guy, but just talk a lot and be the center of attention. I don't think that's ever been him, so I think the way he handled his career perfectly fine. I wish him the best. He's a nice guy, great fighter, uh, and would I've loved to see him get that PFL title after everything? Yeah, but I think he's got a lot to be proud of, and I know he's a family man, got kids. Just I wish him the best. There you go. Um, moving on, someone who says she's still got that fight left in her. Let's just say it like that. Uh, Chris Cyborg. Going over to boxing. So she made the announcement on Wednesday. She'll be fighting in her hometown of Curitiba, Brazil against Simone da Silva. Simone is a 39-year-old. 17-21 and 21 record. Make of that what you will. I'll say it like that. Um, the event is... I don't know if you've seen it, but essentially it's kind of like some legit boxers and some social media influencers trying boxing. Okay. So maybe not the Jake Paul thing, but once again sometimes you gotta admit you just want to see bad boxing instead of good boxing <laughs> right we've had this talk this is yeah. fair okay yeah um probably more interesting to mma she did confirm she's a restricted free agent so similar to kayla harrison she other companies can make offers bellator can match right now so that's where she's at she did say she's not in a hurry to you know get into another contract but she favors bellator and then more importantly she addressed the whole kayla harrison thing said i'm at peace if it doesn't happen kayla needs me more than i need kayla for her career and pretty much said that uh look i haven't been told that there have been serious talks about bellator pfl and all that but she did essentially say i would be team bellator before going over to pfl now, PFL and all that, Kayla Harrison, they're making claims like each woman would get $1 million, the winner would get an extra $2 million on top of that. Kayla Harrison said, I'll make it a winner-take-all. You beat me, I'll give you my money. Um, so it, clearly just a lot, of, a lot of chatter, but I'll ask you this. Just what are your thoughts on the whole situation? Chris Cyborg, I'm not going to lie. I felt like you could have made a case for like a matchroom boxing or someone like that to get Cyborg on an undercard 
and then eventually build up to Katie Taylor, someone like that. I was a little surprised that she kind of went the independent route. What about you? I'm surprised too because it seemed like something with a, a name would have been right right there for the for the taking. But maybe she didn't get any offers, or maybe they were not willing to match her up in a favorable way for a boxing debut. Um, and so, you know, you want to get your feet wet and you don't want to sabotage your potential boxing career. So maybe this is the right way to go. But in any case, whatever, she wants to try it out. I mean, I can imagine being an elite athlete, MMA athlete, and you want to try out boxing and like, you know, Bellator is super cool. Now she's a free agent now, but even if she wasn't, they're super cool. They would have let her do it anyway. You know, MVP gets to do that kind of stuff too. So in any case, I'm happy for her. As far as the PFL Kayla Harrison thing goes, I'm kind of doing a little eye roll at Kayla Harrison right now. You know, she's giving me some Jake Paul vibes with the the tweeting about, you know, a million dollars, I'll give you this. I'm trying to, like, put Cyborg in a corner by asking so much money. Cyborg's not in this for the money. She's been around a long time. I'm not saying she's a billionaire, but I think she's she's just fine. She has her money. She has her money, and she doesn't. She's not going to be lured in by. That's not going to be the way you get to cyborg. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Using money isn't going to be the thing that attracts her to, to to PFL. I think she was treated very well by Scott Coker and Bellator. She's happy there. You know, getting the PFL championship belt isn't. It you know, it's like a the the cherry on top of the cherry like it's not even needed for her career for her legacy if she gets it it's great but she's right Kayla needs Cyborg more than Cyborg needs Kayla and Kayla is almost desperate for this fight because she's has a, a better chance of getting a fight against Cyborg than she does against Amanda Nunes in UFC right now and Kayla Harrison, all she wants to do is cement her legacy, and she can't do that without either of these two women. Um, so I think Kayla Harrison just needs to take a step back and just let's see how it plays out because she's getting a little annoying. No offense. Like, it's just it's reminding me of Jake Paul, and I feel like she doesn't need to go down that route. Meantime, Chris Cyborg, go do your thing. And, yeah, she probably will just re-sign with Belter. Why not? Like, it's a good fit for her. And they have a they have a – perfectly fine 45 division the fight with Kat Zingano is still there so that's the, the money move for for Cyborg if I'm her uh, her people I think that the Cyborg thing reminds me a little bit of the Sean O'Malley situation in the last year where it's like all these guys are calling for it he's chattering online but we're at that point where it's like well I'm gonna fight you when I get paid more and it's like I would have rather you just kept my mouth shut because that's just like, what are you wasting our time for? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, we're not going anywhere. I think, I'll say this, unless you are responding, there's no reason, well, I guess maybe Sean responded, but if there is no talk to be, if there's no fight to be had soon, I'd rather you just keep that in the DMs, honestly. Because yeah. to me, it's just like, you want us to talk about you when you know you're going nowhere. And that's just, I'm sorry, but come on, what are, what are we doing, really? Like, we're yeah. just doing it just to gossip like kids on the schoolyard. Now, exactly. with Kayla, it's a similar thing. All of this isn't going to happen until probably next spring with the pay-per-view structure. 
Mind you, that's not assuming that Kayla is PFL pay-per-view number one. They could easily say like, well, she'll be pay-per-view number two because of timing and this and that. So this is all very up in the air still. But the reason why I bring that up is that it's August. You may not fight Cyborg till April or May. What are we doing? What yeah. is all this t- tweeting about? You know, exactly. you, you got two more fights before you even, at minimum, before you fight Cyborg. So, to me, it's just very um, much ado about nothing. Now, do I like the initiative? Yes. But going back to my point, it just feels like we're not going anywhere. So the talk really just feels pointless. It's at, at the end of the day, it amounts to nothing until next spring where the talks will be serious and we have a better idea of where's Cyborg at contractually, where's PFL at with the pay-per-view model, all of that stuff. So yeah. that's how I feel about it. And yeah, Cyborg, go get paid. I'm sure it's, she's going to get the hero's welcome at home as she deserves. Go for it. It'll be great. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get into the UFC pay-per-view and really dissecting the nuts and bolts, Saturday, the name of the today's show, it is a UK invasion. Not all in the United Kingdom, but essentially every big show is going to be featuring United Kingdom talent. So let's break it down. You have obviously in our world, Leon Edwards from Birmingham, England, taking on Kamaru Usman, arguably the best fighter in the world right now. That's a, all right, sold. You have in London... Local guy Michael Venom Page taking on the wild man Mike Perry. There we go. You have PFL London. I, hold on, I did the notes. It's about 45 minutes, 18 miles away from the bare knuckle event. PFL London, you have Chris Wade against Brendan Lofnan. And not surprising, Kayla Harrison fighting. She is taking on, oh my god, I've missed it. Martina Gendrova. Martina. Yeah. Sorry. So, look, you know that when they made the deal, they're like, hey, you got to bring Kayla Harrison. We want it to be a big event. Don't give... Uh, let's say it. Not everyone in PFL is big. Yeah. If, you're, if we're going to make this deal, you got to bring Kayla. Okay, fair enough. Um, and then, not for nothing, Anthony Joshua tries to regain his titles against Alexander Usyk over in Dubai. Still a big fight, but, you know, I'll acknowledge this. The fight was bigger when you felt like they were very likely to entice Tyson Fury back out of retirement. Yeah. I'm not saying it can't still happen, but I felt like it was very purposeful that Tyson did not wait for Sunday morning to make the call. You know? So I yeah. think that that's going to be exactly where we're at. Just, okay, you know, we'll find out maybe, but most likely not. I think Tyson Fury's done. Congratulations on a great career, Gypsy King. Now, as a fan, how are we going to sort this out? How do we, how do you even dissect what is easily going to be like 12 hours of MMA and combat sports action? So I think that's going to make for a fun segment. Um, As a fan, Natalie, how would you approach watching everything that's happening on Saturday? Oh boy. Well, I would prioritize what I'm most interested in and figure out, well, I, here's what I really try. I try to hack it a little bit. So I wouldn't probably try to watch every event 
all the way through. So I figured out how I could watch the fights that I want to see from each event as close together as possible. Uh, so I don't know the start times of all this stuff, but I would want to see MVP, Mike Perry. I'd want to see Kayla Harrison, uh, PFL. And I well, actually, Paige Van Zandt, I want to see her in BKFC too, plus Kayla Harrison. Um, yeah, Chris Wade, Brendan Long, what's his name? Lofnoon. <laughs> Thank you. Um, not terribly interested in that one. So if I'm if I'm being totally honest with you, those are the three that I focus on. So two BKFC fights, one PFL fight. Uh, Usyk Joshua is that pay per view? I don't know. It's if the it zone. Is, oh, it's so the you zone. have to be subscribed. Uh, that's right, Joshua. Um, Anthony Joshua zone. I. Uh, have put my DAZN subscription on hold, so I'd have to decide if I want to put it back on, turn it back on for this fight. I probably would, um, in which case I wouldn't bother trying to watch it on Saturday, most likely. I would probably just try to watch it on Sunday, um, where I could just get right to the actual fight itself and not have to sit through the whole card. So those are my four fights from these uh, from this big <laughs> loaded night, and uh, and that's it. So I think that when I look at this thing, look, uh, I get it. It doesn't matter how devoted you are. Any one program for so many hours, you're going to run out of gas eventually. So if I'm not mistaken, the PFL London card should actually be a little paced, or paced faster. I know what I'm saying about that, but hear me out. I think the fights should happen the key fights for example if you want to see brendan and kayla compete they should be happening before the good stuff in bare knuckle so if you think okay i don't want to sit down for the whole pfl i would say keep an eye on it on twitter watch whatever you want to do enjoy your coffee whatever but expect for about maybe 12 15 12 30 to be starting to dial in because then we're going to get to co-main time at PFL. Now, the bare knuckle card, it's about 11 fights. Uh, really depends who finishes who fast. But it should, by the math, you should have a window where you could get through the good stuff at PFL. And then catch up. Paige Van Zant is fighting. She's taking on, oh my gosh, just a lot of names. i got to look it back up. But um, Paige Van Zant against Chirsa Sagala. That's the co-main event, and then it's MVP and Mike Perry. So that should really be your, you know, if you could keep up with Twitter, you could probably navigate it so you don't have to sit through too much. You could kind of kick it off at around 12.30, go through till about 2 o'clock. Now, Usyk and Joshua, if you're into it, the main event is supposed to start there at 2.30-ish. You're going to have to be careful because depending on how slow or how fast Bare Knuckle is going, you may need to double screen it or you might just have to abandon ship to watch the actual fight itself. Depending on where they are by the time they get to page and MVP. Now, what's nice about that, it should end before 4 o'clock. So that gives you a couple hours, obviously, before the pay-per-view. You could kind of get some rest, get out, get some fresh air, recharge, take a nap, get dinner. Do whatever you got to do and then pick back up, I'd say around 630 because there's some good fights on the prelims um, and then power right on through to a UFC pay-per-view to end your evening. 
that was probably a lot, but that's what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like it. And obviously, I I went through my whole four fights that I want to watch, excluding the UFC. Uh, so yeah, of course, I would tune in completely for uh, for UFC 278. Mm. But yeah, I mean, the, the start times uh, for PFL, BKFC, and Usyk Joshua of the, the main cards, uh, thank you here for giving me this information, all start at the same time. So yeah, I like it. I think you can sort of squeeze in the big stuff from the morning and then take a nice break before you get back into it. So it's it's loaded, but it's not you know insurmountable. You can enjoy it without being overwhelmed. There we go, which is what we want, right? By the way, if you're, I'll just say this, if you're like a UK combat sports writer, oh my goodness, just know my heart is with you. Because I feel like everyone's either going to get overtime or everybody's just going to have to be like, I can't even watch anything. Like, what's happening in PFL? I don't know. They put me on bare knuckle tonight. Yeah, they're going to be pulling their hair out, trying to keep up with everything and... uh typing their little hearts out so i gotta be awake how late for leon edwards now oh my goodness you know it's a full day of work my heart is with you um let's talk about it ufc 278 salt lake city utah we're gonna work from the bottom up so we're gonna start with it actually the first fight um if i'm not mistaken of the the co-main event is paulo versus luke uh coco jose aldo marab devalishvili so, like I said, Jose Aldo, uh, three-fight win streak, doing his thing. Beat Chito, Pedro Munoz, Rob Font, Marab. He's coming off that really, really epic fight with Marlon Moraes. Been on a roll. BFS with Aljamain Sterling. Usually, this would be title eliminator. No question. We already talked about it at the top of the show. What's going on at Bantamweight? That doesn't change that this is a very critical fight. The winner of this one could easily be in a title fight. Much crazier things have happened. So you can't understate how important this fight is for both fighters. I'm also going to hit you with a little bit of news no one's talking about. You'll remember Jose Aldo was talking about retiring in 2019. He signed a new 8-fight deal. Natalie, if I'm not mistaken, assuming my math is right, this fight coming up with Marab is number seven of eight, which means that if Jose Aldo wins, he's probably looking to set it up, get a title fight with fight number eight. If he doesn't, you're talking about the possibility that Jose Aldo could say could call it a night in his next fight if he loses to Marab after this one. So a lot to dissect from this very crucial bantamweight fight. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's definitely changing the stakes a little bit. So um, I don't think most people are thinking about it. But yeah, that that is uh, very interesting. Jose Aldo is one of those people that, I mean, even if you want to count him out, you can try to count him out, but he's always just coming back and surprising you with his performances. So this is very interesting. I think we'll probably, probably see that um, if he still stands a chance and does a good job then maybe he'll be re-signing for a short contract but if not he might be thinking like yeah let's just uh, sail off into the sunset so that's an interesting thing to keep in mind for sure now the nice thing about this fight is that it is stylistically it just sets up very well for both guys i think that marab 
age is on his side, confidence and momentum is on his side. He's about as good a position as you could be to try to take on a guy like Aldo. Um, the grappling's going to be the bread and butter, right? Everything's got to lead into forcing Jose to work off of his back. Jose Aldo, he's become a legend, just essentially dismantling guys who aren't the best strikers, but got great grappling. Chito Vera acknowledged this. I think a lot of those fights, you've kind of seen it. He's a very difficult guy to deal with without a lot of high-level weapons of your own. I will say the physicality of Marab is the biggest factor at this stage of the game. Can Jose Aldo stay ahead of him for all 15 minutes? Can he stay out of those bad positions? Because I think more than like, you know, getting smashed uh, Hamza Chamayev style, I think the biggest thing is the clock. If Marab is able to slow down Jose, it's going to put Jose in a position where he's got to take a lot of reckless chances in order to stay ahead because Marab is just so big and strong. He's just very stocky. It makes it very difficult for Jose to get momentum going. That could really burn the clock in a 15-minute fight. Now, we know who Jose Aldo is. He's the guy who ages backwards somehow. This could be a very critical fight where... He needs to really show that guy and a great performance. You could make the argument he can just wait until a title shot materializes and that would be awesome. Once again, he knows what's on the line. Only he knows what his heart is feeling in terms of how many more walks he wants to make and what does he want to make them for, the title, or just to ride off into the sunset. So it makes it very good. I'm going to go ahead... I think Marab is going to be that guy who gets there soon. I don't think that Jose Aldo is riding off to the sunset this Saturday. I think that he's going to get it done. Keep it on the feet. Going to be very vintage. Work behind the jab. Work behind your pace. Target the calf kick. And just really make Marab work. Make him feel like he's not able to do the things he wants to do. Just maintain the distance. I just think that very bluntly he's going to maintain the distance. May not be the most exciting fight, but it's going to be very workmanlike. Get the win. I like that. I like that a lot. I, I agree with you. I think Jose Aldo is still surprising the heck out of everybody. Probably not himself because he's putting in the hard work. But I love the the way he's been boxing lately. He hasn't used the kicks as much, but I think you're right. I think he's going to need to employ them a little bit here. Maybe not those huge soccer kicks, a little more uh, subtle kick to the calf. But I think that... it. I think he's so well-rounded, so intelligent. He's seen everything. And even though Marab is extremely tough and is going to put a, try to put a pace on him, I think Jose Aldo will be able to control and do what he needs to do to win on points, and he'll win by decision. Moving on to the co-main event. Luke Rockhold makes his return. Last fought 2019 at light heavyweight. Essentially said, I'm doing this for me now. I'm re reinvigorated. Said, you know, talked about the stuff that he'd been going through in his life. Paulo Costa looks shredded on weight. We know the UFC has been monitoring him. We know he's not going to be able to pull any shenanigans without being charged an arm and a leg financially. Um, I think the biggest X factor for this, obviously the dedication of Paulo is in question. That last fight, n no two ways about it that was an embarrassment he clearly uh tried to play hardball with the ufc tried to throw his weight around um 
quite literally. And just look, it just was a bad look for any fighter that says they are a professional who's taken this seriously. I think he's got a lot to prove. I get the impression that he has been training like it. For Luke Rockhold, he's always been a very talented guy. Physically gifted, very long, very fast, very multifaceted fighter. I think uh, obviously the big knock on his career, he, his defense, uh, he just has always done this. He backs up, chin up, he just stands up straight. Yoel Romero caught him like that. Blahovich just really found the opening, but several fighters have just looked for that. And when he backs up, he just leaves that chin out there. Bisping got him. It's just been a struggle for him. At this stage of the game, he's he's a very successful guy. He's made his money. He's done his thing outside of MMA. Has he hit the gym? Has he built those good habits to not leave that kind of opening? Because as good as he is, if Paolo starts going to work, is that going to kind of rear its head again? That's going to be the big question surrounding Luke Rockhold at this stage. Can he still... Be that guy who put it on Chris Weidman. I don't know. That's another one on him. He's always in great shape. But at this stage, can you put it together once again to use all those weapons and fight like a guy who could throw the gauntlet down at Israel Adesanya? Remember, after Alex Pereira, Izzy has pretty much fought everybody else already. Luke is as good of a candidate as anybody if he looks good against Paolo. So this is a high-stakes fight for both of these guys, more for reputation than I think anything else. And with that, I'll toss it to you. Yeah, that's a great breakdown. When I think about Paulo Costa, I just have almost no faith in him right now, and with good reason. You identified all the the recent... Um, shenanigans? Shenanigans, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's just almost no reason to believe that he's going to show up and and really be the Paulo Costa that earned a title shot um, against Israel Adesanya. Okay, when I think about Luke Rockhold, again I line up right with you. The physique, the skills, you know, the, the striking game, the ground thing, game, the wrestling. He's just he's a model, literally. Like that's how he was earning money for a while now. It's just the chin. That's the thing I don't have faith in, and I worry that. If Paulo Costa just lands one lucky shot, it's going to be all she wrote for Luke Rockhold. And that stinks because Luke Rockhold has everything else that he, you know, he has all the other skill sets. It's just that he's he's eaten too many hard shots right on the chin and been knocked out. Like this isn't someone who's been in wars and taken a lot of shots like Robbie Lawler, Roy McDonald. When he gets hit, because as you identified, he keeps his chin way up and his arms down. When he gets hit, it's usually lights out or you know the beginning of a lights out sequence. So I'm concerned, but this is a, a fight where I am excited to see Luke Rockhold really show us that he's back. Because he's still a name. He looks the part, every bit the part. Like, you know, he's if if Rocky Four was a movie about MMA, he would have been Ivan Drago, right? Like, he's just got that build, that physique. So I want to see what he can do with uh, the tutelage from Jason Perillo. Is that defense going to be fixed? Where you know, Or is it going to be there? Because <laughs> it really wasn't a defense. And, and if he can keep his hands up and move his feet and stay out of Costa's 
tiny short arm range, um, then I think we're going to see a Luke Rockhold that's going to blitz past Paulo Costa. That's what I'm predicting. Uh, I think he'll be able to finish Paulo Costa in round two. All right, all right. You know what? I, I actually agree with that. I think that um, what Luke Rockhold by decision, I think that his tools, he's just better at putting them together. And I think that that's going to be the key. He's just more multifaceted. And if you can avoid that physicality of Paolo, that's going to favor him. I think the fact that it's 15 minutes as opposed to 25, also a big factor. May also help Paolo a little bit, but I think that the technicality is where it's really going to come through. Luke's got to fight like that guy who beat Weidman. You got to just discipline, stick and move, take it seriously. I saw him in San Diego. Looks in fantastic shape. Should be a good one. But yeah, I think that this is a big question for the future of Luke and certainly the future of Paolo to just have a good showing for yourself, win or lose. Which brings us to the main event. 15-fight mm-hmm. win streak. Kamaru Usman. You can make the argument, even if John Jones comes back, even if Habib comes back, this might be the best fighter in the world right now. The striking, the grappling, the athleticism, the consistency, uh, the execution of the game plan. Just what can you say about it? Knocked out Jorge Masvidal. Uh, TKO'd Colby Covington. Um, beat them both by decision also knocked out Gilbert Burns with which Hamza Chamayev couldn't do in 15 minutes um, really just what can you say about the guy that hasn't already been said already Leon Edwards 10 fight and beaten streak about the only blip was that he accidentally eye poked Bilal Muhammad who was a short notice replacement and that became a no contest uh dismantled Nate Diaz for 24 minutes, survived the one minute that people seem to think is the story of the fight. It's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> um, this, you know, routed Rafael Dos Anjos. Just, I will say this. I think that Leon Edwards, because of the way he carries himself, is not always gets the love he deserves. This is a very consistent guy. This is a guy who on the feet should have the ability to give Kamaru Usman a lot of problems. The one thing I will acknowledge is Kamaru's ability to wrestle. If his game plan, which I'm assuming it is, is to have a healthy diet of takedowns while he tries to strike with Leon, that should be enough to give Leon all the problems because as good as Leon is, as a grappler from the top, as a striker, I think the big test is really how good is his jiu-jitsu defense off of his back because that is always the key factor I'm not saying that Leon is going to be, you know, just dominated if he ends up on his back. But stopping those takedowns may be the key to an upset. And I don't know that he could do that against a newsman who's also going to be making him think about the power and the just athleticism in his body and in his hands. He's a very heavy hitter, very well conditioned. It makes for a very intriguing fight. There's all the reason in the world to favor Kamaru. Um, I think if you're sleeping on Leon Edwards, though, you're sleeping on a guy who's really looked good in his, let's be honest, since he lost to Kamaru the first time in like 15. So we're, we're going to be in for a good one. What are your thoughts? I'm kind of sleeping on Leon Edwards, you know, even though you say not to. He, yeah, he has all these great attributes and he's gone up against a lot of important fighters and beat them. 
But Kamaru Usman is sort of in that territory now where I'm not saying, I'm not trying to compare him to Valentina Shevchenko as far as their careers go, but, you know, when Valentina Shevchenko gets paired with someone who you know is just a lesser fighter because the division is a little thin, you know it's just going to be, you know, a, a quick work for her. And so there's almost nothing really to break down when Valentina Shevchenko fights somebody because she's just that good. She's levels above the game. I think Kamara Usman has, has in my mind, finally achieved that levels above the game status. He's just shown it fight after fight after fight with whoever comes in that looks in highlight reels and, and when you watch full fights of them, like they really have something to, to challenge Kamara Usman with. Yeah, they do for a little bit, but then he finds a way to beat them and he beats them soundly. And so that's how I see Kamara right now with Trevor Whitman, with the way he's just personally evolved his mind, his body, and his skill set, skill sets. Uh, I don't think Leon Edwards has any more of a chance than anybody else has in the in the recent two years. So yeah, there's going to be some back and forth. Leon Edwards is a great striker. I think what he's going to try to do, Leon, is be patient. It's going to be a little bit of a boring fight from from his side because he's not going to be taking too many risks. He's going to try to outpoint Kamaru. That's how I see him playing out his uh, his strategy. Kamaru is not going to play along. He's not going to try to run into any danger, but he'll just know once he gets in there that he's the better, superior, stronger fighter. And I think he'll be able to finish Leon Edwards any way he wants. With strikes, with takedowns, ground and pound. Uh, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's going to be just sort of the way we saw with Colby and Masvidal. There's a back and forth, and then Kamara just takes over and finishes. So I think Kamara is going to be able to finish Leon Edwards round three or four, but I have to pick one, so I'll pick three. Uh, TKO round three. Round three. You know, I really like that. I really like that. You know what? I'm going to actually go with you two on that one. All right. I think that it's a good one. I think that it's really, um, what's a good way to put it? I, I just think that the skills of, uh, I think this is a big test for Kamaru. He's looking to tie the Anderson Silva 16 fight uh, UFC win streak. You got to think that if he wins that, I, I've said it and we'll, we'll talk about it. Look, Monday's show could be this or it could be a very different immediate rematch segment, right? Um I think that Kamaru, right. he's going to go all in. I think that if he wins this one, he's saying, Hamzat, handle your business. You're going to be number 17, and then I'm walking away from MMA. And I think that his plan is he's setting it up, payday Hamzat, then payday Canelo. And that's a wrap. I think that that's really what he wants. He wants to break the record and say that's a wrap. I brought it, I proved it, and what else do I have to say? I like the notion of breaking the record and doing that by beating Edwards and then uh, comes out. But man, whether he, you know, if he wants to do it, fine. But the Canelo thing, it just makes me roll my eyes because they really are different sports. They are. <laughs> and, and not only are they, but Canelo is one of the best boxers ever. Um, we don't need to, I don't need to break him down for us, for everybody right now, but that's, for some reason, Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather didn't make me want to laugh 
I thought, yeah, I think Connor could have a chance. This one makes me want to laugh. I don't think Usman has a chance against Canelo, but we'll talk about that when the time comes. My thing about it, and I'll say, I say this with the most respect. I don't know that Kamaru is that guy who's this pay-per-view lightning rod when he's by himself. He's he should be. He's great. I think you should always respect seeing a guy as talented as he is by himself. I think that you know the time to go from you know UFC superstar to mainstream superstar. If it was going to happen, it would have. So uh, I think that look. If you've been putting in that work, you deserve to get paid. If that means fighting Canelo, every person deserves the right to choose their own fate. And when I say fate, I mean ending. So if it's, that's how he wants to go out, fighting Canelo, who am I to stop him from taking that L? <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. It's going to be a payday. Not, you know, It'll be the biggest payday of his career. It's not going to be whatever Canelo he, gets level and, payday, but yeah. And he deserves it, though. Kamara sure, deserves sure. it. After you putting in this much work, yeah. you know, it, it is what it is. But that's another one. Long show, marathon show, but we covered a lot. That's a wrap. Everyone, be safe. Enjoy your Saturday full of combat sports. We'll be back next week.